allow me 30 seconds to make a personal remark. I'm only going to take 30 seconds. Normally, on a Sunday where I'm assigned to preach, I preach three times, as Father Wesley does. And we, we do that because that's not both of us writing a sermon, which takes a long time, uh, in one week. So we switch back and forth. And on the Sundays I get to preach, and I, I don't preach from a script. I'm, I'm more of a little bit of extemporaneous preacher. And the reason for that is, is that if I read to you off a piece of paper, you would be asleep in five seconds because I'm, I'm no good at it. Okay, that's the truth. Okay, so I don't have me read, do, a, do a reading out loud because it's not good. And so uh, the 8 o'clock is my warm-up sermon. <laughs> and uh, they, they always hear, hear uh, what would be called a warm-up sermon. 9.30, I'm awake. Uh, I've already practiced it once. And it's usually my best effort. And at 11, I'm tired. <laughs> One time, Father Wesley, I preached at 9.30. And, uh, and we both agreed that I, I, I said what needed to be said. And I, and I was, I was kind of like, yeah, the 8 o'clock wasn't that great. And uh, the 9.30, I, I felt pretty good about, you know, in my own little human way. It was never, of course, sufficient. And, uh, and Father Wesley gave me these words of encouragement. Let's hope lightning strikes twice. <laughs> All right. Now, hopefully that suffices as a good warm-up. So I wanted to preach today on Advent. Really, I wanted to preach today on, on, on my, my topic today. And, and we're, we're allowed a little leeway in what we preach on. I normally preach on the Gospel. Father's been working through the Old Testament this past year. Uh, we can preach on the Epistle reading. You can, uh, it's oftentimes a preacher will preach on the, on the collect. Uh, I'd like to preach on the color, purple. Okay, we're talking about purple today. And why is it that we're wearing purple during Advent? Purple, and, and, you know, and we get some answers like, well, it's a royal color. And that is true, although it's not a royal color in, in, as far as the, the church is concerned. When, when the church looks at purple, it's the color of Lent. It's the color of penance, of fasting and sackcloth and ashes. That's the color purple, okay? And so why is it that we're all in purple here uh, when, we're, when we're leading up to the birth of a baby. What's so penitential about that? What's so Lenten about that? And oftentimes, Advent is called the little Lent. Why are we, you know, in sackcloth and ashes during this time? And the fact of the matter is, is that the reason why we are in sackcloth and ashes, the reason why this is a penitential service or season, is because we are leading up to an event uh, not unlike Good Friday. I mean, honestly, what's so good about Good Friday? Well, it's great for us. Our redemption is, you know, our sins are nailed to a cross in the person of Jesus. So it's good for us, but it's not so good for him. And so in Lent, it is likewise the same kind of thing. The birth of Jesus is great for us, not so great for him. It is the staggering humiliation of God, the second person of the Trinity, 
who lived in inapproachable life, light up until that point. Perfectly content, perfectly happy, in need of nothing. Who stands outside the blackness of space and looks in. And yet is in the mitochondria of every cell in your body. So transcendent, so imminent. It can be said that we live in the mind of God. And here he is. If he was born of the queen of the earth, that would be a a tremendous degradation. But no. I dare say not a single person in this room, and pretty much everyone in this room is probably born in a hospital. It was air-conditioned. It was heated. You were attended by doctors and nurses and... Every comfort of the world was provided to your little self. You weren't laid in a trough. That's the, that's the real word. It's, we call it manger because, you know, it sounds better. It was a trough where sheep and goats and camels and donkeys used to eat out of. They cleared that out. Think about this. We just said the Nicene Creed. It's written in 325, finished in four, something or another. Began to be said in the, in the Mass uh, in Spain full-time in the 7th century. Two centuries later, it's said throughout the Western Church every, every time the Mass. Is, well, every Sunday. And when we come to the part, the, what's called the incarnatus, and was made man... Okay. What do we do? We genuflect. Why do we genuflect at that? We don't genuflect that he was he was, you know, crucified or you know by by Pontius Pilate. We don't genuflect when he rose from dead. We genuflect at the incarnation. Because that is the great humiliation of God. And see, folks, I know we don't have kings anymore. But when we did, if the king was humiliated, (laughs) so were you. If the king bent the knee, you bent the knee. Because the king never bent the knee. The king wasn't humiliated. The king represented the country. He was everything. He was the king. Here's a question. Uh, I need a show of hands. Who here has seen the Lord of the Rings? Show it to you. Okay, it's pretty good. Okay. So I'm going to do it anyway, even though some haven't. There's a scene at the end, at the very end of the last one, where uh, the, the king is, is, uh, is crowned, his coronation. He has returned. He has defeated uh, Sauron, who was a type of Satan. And, uh, and he, he's, everyone's bowing before him because, of course, he's the king, and it's his coronation day. And he comes up to four little hobbits who would actually save the world, and he genuflects. And everyone pauses for a second, and then they genuflect too. Is it follow the leader? No. When the king gets on his knees, <laughs> everyone else does too. That's why. The king does not get on the knees by himself. Humility. I don't even, I mean, we could, it'll, we'll call it a virtue. But like pride, 
It is really the font of all virtue. No one ever sinned that did not ignore humility, that did not, it did not begin with pride. Any sin, think about it. Because, well, God doesn't matter. I do. And then you sin. It's the genesis of all sin is pride. The genesis of all redemption, of all salvation, of all us following Jesus, of all virtue is humility. You may concentrate on certain things like faith, love, charity, the theological virtues, or fortitude, prudence, justice, temperance, uh, the cardinal virtues, all good things. But it, it begins with humility. All of it begins with humility. Satan, who was then Lucifer, said to himself, I am like God. And so he fell with a third of the angels. And in Revelation 12, we, we see that Michael the archangel casts him and the rest of them out of heaven. Do you know what Michael's name means? It's a question. Who is like God? That's the answer. What does humility look like? And as I flesh this out, everyone will cringe, and myself included. Humility does not desire to be esteemed. Humility does not desire to be loved. Humility does not desire to be extolled, to be honored, to be praised. Humility is not afraid of others being preferred to you, of others being consulted when you're not consulted, of others being approved. It does not fear being humiliated. It does not fear being despised. It does not fear suffering rebukes. It does not fear being calumniated, people speaking evil of you. It does not fear being forgotten. It does not fear being ridiculed. It does not fear being wronged. It does not fear being suspected. It desires that others may be loved more, that others may be esteemed more, that others in the opinion of the world may increase even while you decrease, that others may be chosen and you set aside, that others may be praised while you go unnoticed, that others be preferred in everything, that others even become more holier than you as long as you become as holy as you should be. That's hard to swallow, isn't it? finish with this. Matthew 11, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.